Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. You had a paranormal awakening, but a lot of it had to surround your father. Tell us what happened. When my father was 18 years old, him and three other buddies were driving down a dirt road, and they saw a white light in front of the car, behind their car, and then out in the field. And my dad became very curious as to what this light was, so him and his friend, Don, got out and leaned against the driver's side door to see if this light would pass them. And the next thing they knew, they were sitting in their vehicle. Then they saw the white light dash across the field and join with a larger orange light and take off into space. And so they drove to the nearest farmhouse, knocked on the door to ask them if they saw these lights. And the woman was furious that they were knocking on her door after midnight. And they were shocked that it was after midnight, having left their house down the street after dinner, and then they all realized that they had lost time. They drove home in silence, <laughs> stunned. Hmm. And then my father realized that he had a triangular-shaped object in his wrist. And it was under the skin, but it had a gray color and was slightly raised. Now, when we were old enough not to be too freaked out by this story, <laughs> he shared it with us, and growing up, he called it his alien chip. Shortly after that experience, he was recruited by NCR from a small town in the middle of nowhere called Leader, Saskatchewan, and ultimately became a leader on the front lines of the emerging computer age. And at what age was he then? He was 18 years old. Oh, my. He was like the boy. It happened, and he was recruited and started working for NCR at 18, and he worked there till he was 68. He was a boy wonder, wasn't he? He became a boy wonder after that incident. <laughs> How long did that implant, or whatever it was, stay in his wrist? Till he passed. I mean, it, it was always there. He would hold it, and uh, we have pictures of him in doing various things, not exactly of the implant, but you can see the shadow on his wrist. And, you know, we were well aware of it growing up. And, of course, my dad was obsessed with UFOs and aliens. And Whitley Schreiber's book was a coffee table book for us growing up with that scary picture on the front. <laughs> Why didn't he ever try to get the uh, implant taken out? You know, it just wasn't a thing that he was interested in doing. He was protective of it, for one. He would hold on to it like, I don't know, it was precious to him, and he had no interest. My dad never went to a doctor. He just Jeez. was not that kind of guy, and he just wasn't interested in having it examined, and it was just his kind of precious gift. Now... Do you think that that episode is the reason why you became interested in the paranormal? Oh, yes. Growing up with my father definitely made all of us interested in the paranormal. And then he moved on to what, Mount Shasta? Yes, and so then, before I was born, he got transferred to Mount Shasta. And yes, that's where I was born, in Shasta County. And uh, it was quite a treat. Growing up there, 
and hiking in the woods as a child. And I mean, I can recall clearly never feeling alone in the woods. Like I knew there was energetic beings in the trees and I was aware of even troll-like looking beings peeking out from the trunks of the trees and I had a lot of invisible friends and so quite psychic as a child and of course Mount Shasta was very conducive to that experience. Tell me about the blue beans. What were they? Who were they? And so when I was young, I clearly remember at night actually waiting for the blue beings to come. And I had a sense when they were coming down the hall and coming into my room. And to me, they reminded me of Casper the ghost. So as a child, I called them Caspers. And they were translucent. And they basically levitated. And they would come around my bed, one on either side and one at the foot. And I knew that they came to do some kind of energy transmission that was necessary for my health and well-being. But it was fun, and they were joyful beings, and I knew somehow they were also family. Now, eventually your father went to uh, Dayton, Ohio, near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and we, of course, know that's where the Roswell wreckage was taken. Right, yes. He was transferred to Dayton, Ohio, with NCR, which was right near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And my dad was German. His mother was German-speaking. And my father spoke German. And we can recall as children, on Sunday nights, we would get ushered into the back bedrooms after dinner, and these German men would come over, and they would pour over these plans. My father was secretive about his work. He was a quiet man in general. But uh, when I became an adult and I became aware of Project Paperclip, I wondered what my dad might have had to do with all that. Now, you also recall stories about German-speaking men coming over to your house at night. What uh, were they doing? Well, that's exactly what I was just referring to. Yes, they would come over and my father and them would gather around and have long conversations. And About what, though? Well, we were kids, and we were ushered into the back bedrooms, so I can only speculate on what they might have been working on. My father was a pioneer on the front lines of the computer age. It may very well have been some kind of... A reverse engineering technology. Somehow they were hmm. designing computer technology, and whether that was given to them through um, communication with advanced beings. You know, we know that Wright Patterson Air Force Base is likely where they took the Roswell craft. So, um, you know, who knows what they were working on there, but I believe it had everything to do with computer technology. Any military people show up, too, in uniform? No, not that I recall. Okay. Business suits. How often would these meetings occur? You know, it felt to me like they were during the time we lived in Dayton, and I was, I'm going to say, five years old to maybe ten years old, so maybe five years during that time when we were in Dayton. And then we got moved around a lot after that. We probably lived in six different cities throughout Ohio 
after that. It really seemed concentrated in that period of time, which would have been about 1970 to about 1975. Did your father ever take you aside and go, Suzanne, I've got to tell you something here? Did that <laughs> no. ever happen? <laughs> no, he didn't. What we would talk about, though, were aliens and UFOs. And my father was always pointing up at the sky and teaching us about constellations, really focused on Orion and those three belt stars, but also the nebula of the Pleiades. And he explained it as a star nursery. He really believed there was life in the cosmos and that we had a connection to them. He was aware of all of these. Did he ever bring up the Roswell case from '47? He didn't bring it up, but believe me, we watched everything on TV that you could watch about anything to do with aliens and UFOs, and he had books. He would pour over. Um, you know, we would talk about it as we became adults. We would talk about all kinds of different, you know, UFO stories about uh, crafts that may have landed and experiences people may have had. Was he a staunch believer in this, or was he just a great storyteller? He was a staunch believer. And I can remember, I'm going to say 30 years ago, walking in the desert with my dad and him just outright saying, you know the aliens are us coming back from the future. And, you know, this was 30 years ago before this type of thing was so commonly talked about like we do today. Right. And my father and I, in the desert of Southern California, had a memorable experience one day while we were focused on these types of conversations. It was a bright blue sunny day, and we came around the corner of a mountain at the base of a mountain, and suddenly it was foggy and chilly, and we became aware of presence all around us, like eyes looking at us. And we looked down at the ground. There was a giant, perfectly circular black imprint with a long trail leading up to it. And we just looked at this. And then my dad said to me, this is kind of creepy. You want to get out of here? And I said, yes, and we turned around, and when we turned around, it was a bright blue sunny day again. <laughs> Just <laughs> and like we that. we called that spot the alien landing strip after that. <sighs> Some 25, 26 years ago, you underwent hypnotic regression. How come? Well, over 25 years ago, I was working in the corporate world, miserable, all kinds of ailments, mental, physical, you name it. And on a vacation out to the desert of Southern California, I was compelled to run to the top of this mountain. I threw my arms up to the sky and I said, I am miserable in the extreme and I see no way out. And in that moment, I literally felt like the air around me was embracing me in a warm hug. I heard a voice resonating within me and all around me, and it said, can't you see you've come home? You will stay here and heal yourself and many others. And in that moment, I knew that was the absolute truth for me. All of the anxiety and depression melted away, and it was replaced 
by excitement and enthusiasm over my new life in the desert as a healer. I had been living on the East Coast. In two weeks, I completely transformed my life. I left my husband, my job, my life on the East Coast. Whoa, what a change, huh? (laughs) I became a healer in the desert. For the next two weeks, George, I really felt like I was following an energy as it was giving me instructions. Do this, do that. I went to the local five-star resort, applied for a job in health and wellness, was literally hired on the spot, asked if I could start in two weeks. I said yes. As I was walking through the parking lot, I was thinking, this is surreal. What have I done? (laughs) I live on the East Coast. But in two weeks, I started my job there because it nothing had ever felt so right. I told my mom, I'm leaving my life on the East Coast, which she thought was the American dream, and moving to the desert and becoming a healer. And she said, you've lost your mind. And I said, no, I think I finally found it. And where did the hypnotic regression come in? So many years later, I met Lori McDonald. Uh I'm sure you know Lori. Sure do. Yep, she's a good friend of mine. And I said, Lori, I've always wondered what happened on that mountaintop. Was this like a divine intervention? Was it something cosmic like, you know, maybe something galactic? And so we did this hypnotic regression, and I was so surprised to be shown these two beings emerging onto the surface with a woman in between them. These two beings were pale, blonde-haired, blue-eyed beings, one man and one woman. And in between them was a woman that looked like me. And they said she would like permission to walk into you. And I said yes. And she walked into me, turned around, and looked out. And I believe that was a higher dimensional version of myself from the inner earth. And it made so much sense because I was spontaneously healed in the moment and merged with my higher self, aligned with my true calling. And so I felt that made a lot of sense. After the regression, did you find yourself changing? This revelation really made me wonder about being even born in Mount Shasta and how we are aware of this city of Talos in Mount Shasta, right? This inner earth city, Mm -hmm. maybe the ancient Lemurians, and my connection to the Lemurians, and also, obviously, the connection to the inner earth. And then I wondered, was I aligned with my higher self because now... I was set on the mission that I came here for and had to be upgraded into this version of my higher self so that I could align with my calling in the field of health and wellness and then step on the path of spirituality, which the incident on the mountaintop surely did. It started me out on a spiritual path. And I dove into spirituality in a big way, ultimately into Buddhism, trance meditation, which led to automatic writing and channeling, and kind of where I'm 
at now, uh, downloading advanced information. And, of course, I had my own missing time experience. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.